chapter 22, verse number 15. We will start with this passage of Scripture. We'll read through verse 22, 15 through 22, Matthew chapter 22. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. We must catch him in his words. Does that sound familiar? Yes. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. It's a bit of flattery there. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. That's the title of my message here tonight. Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Show me the tribute money. Tithing, blessing, and thanksgiving is what we're talking about tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your many, many blessings. Recognize that you do great, great things. And we give you credit and we give you honor and everything is for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. There is a connection between our tithes to blessing and to thanksgiving. And so I want to tie these things together. In our text, we have read a very interesting passage of Scripture where Jesus says in his answer, render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. The reason I pay tithes is because I want to honor the creator. I want to render unto God the things that are God's. This was a very planned attack. This was no accident, and it included two groups coming together that were at odds with themselves. The Herodians were a group of people that had a religious understanding and background that were sympathetic to the Romans. The Pharisees wanted to throw off the ability of the Romans, but for this particular purpose, they came together trying to catch Jesus or entangle him and so it was a planned attack. You had one side that was sympathetic to Rome, and you had one side that wanted to revolt against Rome. And so if Jesus is squeezed here or pinched here, he will take sides. And no matter uh, what he does, if he takes sides with either case, then there will be consequences. And so they come to Jesus with this question. And either he becomes a sympathizer of Rome, if he says yes, 
render unto Caesar. If he gives an emphatic yes, then he's siding with the Herodians, which is not good for his ministry because there was such an anti-Rome philosophy and sentiment. And if he sides with the Pharisees and says, no, don't give tribute, then he could be tried and arrested for treason. And so they try to box him in and they try to catch him in his words. And he asks them to bring a tribute coin. Show me the tribute money. And so they bring a penny. And, and his, his basic action there is to ask them uh, to come up with the very exchange and economy that they're talking about because they themselves could not exist without it. And so they have to produce the coin. And when they produced the coin, Jesus said, who is this image and superscription? Just to make sure, what coin and where is this coming from? And they said unto him, it's Caesar's money, and it is in their possession. And so he says to them, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's, meaning that there is a civil responsibility that you have and then there is also a religious responsibility that you have and both are to be rendered unto God. When he finished that and they heard these words, they marveled and they left him and they went their way. Jesus was not about to be entrapped by what they were trying to do. He said, you should render to Caesar, which is civil authorities, and you should render unto God the things that are God. Why do I give finance to the things of God? Because I am honoring what is God's. I recognize that all things come from him. And so that is a discipline that is a nod to all things coming from him. Someone said there's three attitudes in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The priest and the Levite had the attitude of what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. There's a man that has been damaged, and he is in the gully, and there have been those that have abused him, and the religious order walks on by. The thieves had the attitude of what's yours is mine, and I'm going to get it. That's why he's in the ditch. The Samaritan had the attitude of what's mine is yours and you can have it. And so you can see the different mentalities that are at play here. There is another attitude that should permeate our thinking, even above the commendable attitude of the Samaritan. And that is everything we have belongs to God and we are stewards of his goods. That's going to change a lot of things when you think of it in that manner. Everything that I have is from God, everything. And therefore, if it's all from God, I want to render back to him what's God's. I don't want to withhold. I don't want to retain. I want to recognize that everything that I am is because of God's goodness and God's blessing and God's grace to me. God owns the entire world and its substance. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 8, The silver is mine and the gold is mine. It is God that gives to us the power to obtain wealth, the ability, the talent, the wherewithal that you have to do what you do, the breath that you breathe, the bones that make up the structural component, the mentality in, in your mind, all of those things come from God. The psalmist said in Psalm 75 and verse 6, for promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and he setteth up another. And so everything that I am is to give God glory. Every bit of success that is obtained, I want to give God glory. Everything that I can look at and say, this is something that is a successful endeavor. I want to make sure that God knows everything I've got comes from you. We are not to glory in what God has given us but we're to glory in him. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. It's not in my wisdom, it's not in my might, my physical strength, and it's not in riches either. But what I should glory in is that I understand and know who God is. Do you realize how blessed you are to sit on a church pew in this place and say, I know who he is. I felt his presence in this place tonight. He's walking with me. He's directing me. And he's a God that is faithful to me. That is a blessed position to be in. Why should I begrudge God 10% when everything actually belongs to him? It all belongs to him. If it were not for him, there would be no land. There would be no seed. There would be nothing to plant. There would be no strength. There would be no income, and there would be no life. Unless, of course, you don't believe that. But I'm here in the house of God tonight, and I believe that everything that I am comes from God. Comes from God. Leviticus chapter 27 and verse number 30 And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy. Everyone say holy. It is holy unto the Lord. And if, now this is fascinating. There is an interesting policy here. And if a man will at all redeem aught his, of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. That's fascinating. This is found in the renderings of the law, talking about the tithe. If for some reason you could not pay the tithe, 
and there was an overlap or something that you had to do or you had to borrow from the tithe or you had to use the tithe, that was something that could be done and it would be acceptable if, according to Leviticus, you added a fifth part, not 5%, but a fifth part, meaning that if you use that tithe or that portion, you also owed that back to God, but you added a fifth part to it, and a fifth part is 20%. So if you are going to borrow the 10%, that's okay. But if you redeem that for whatever purpose, you add to it 20%, so now that your total is 30%. Very, very fascinating in the Old Testament scripture. So you could borrow the tithe, but there was a 20% attached to it. It's holy. It's God's. And so this is a tithe unto the Lord. I tithe. I give of my fine. I'm saying me. I, I do that. I'll, I'll mention this at the end because there needs to be consistency among all peoples, whether they're ministry or not. The Levites tithe on the tithe. On the tithe that came in, they also tithe. And so I do that because in this first point, I'm doing it because I want to honor that I understand and recognize God is the giver of all things. Not only is that a reason but another reason is I want to acknowledge my heritage. Very, very fascinating going to uh, the Holy Land. It is a trip of a lifetime, and we went the first time. It was impacting. This time was also impacting. But some of the people that went for the first time, it was interesting to reflect upon their response and their experience for the first time as they stood and they looked over uh, Jerusalem at night in tears streaming down their face because everything that they are and they're connected to, if you live a life that is in the scripture and you're studying the scripture and reading the scripture and you finally get the opportunity to stand in the land of the scripture, it's very, very emotional. It is not, uh, as Sister Judy King says, it's not a vacation, it's a spiritual experience. And it really, really is. Now we had a great time and it was fun, but it's a spiritual experience. And so I, I, in doing that, what, what is fascinating is you're connecting to something that is of value to you. And so now when you read about the Sea of Galilee or you have read about the Sea of Galilee, but now you're going across the Sea of Galilee in a boat, there's, there's just something that happens there. When you see the old road from Jerusalem to Jericho and the travelers that would walk, have walked on that and Jesus himself would have walked on that, it resonates with you. And so in tithing, I'm doing the same thing as standing in the Holy Land by connecting to my heritage. My heritage has family connections and genealogy, but ultimately, spiritually, I'm connecting to my heritage. For Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 29, the Bible says, And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I'm connected to Abraham. Abraham was the father of the faithful. Abraham was an individual that was the first tithe payer of record found in Genesis chapter 14 and verse number 20. Abraham was a blessed individual. God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees into the promised land and he was relying on and trusting in God. And in the process of doing that, 
God blessed him richly. And so because of that, there was an opportunity in his life to say, this is, this is not my glory, but this is for your glory. And so not only did Abraham set that rubric or set that rule, if you will, but it was followed by his grandson, Jacob, who paid tithes. The scripture said that Levi, uh, Abraham's descendant and the father of the tribe from which the priesthood came, paid tithes in Abraham that is found in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 9. So my heritage of paying a tithe precedes the law of Moses. Sometimes people will get stuck on, well, we're not under the law anymore. Abraham was before the law. Abraham produced something that was an example before the law ever came to be. And we are the children of Abraham. And so therefore, we're following the same rule and pattern that Abraham laid down. My heritage of paying a tithe precedes that law. And as a child of Abraham and an heir of the promise of Abraham, I acknowledge my family relationship by doing what I do. This was always a point of contention with Jesus. John chapter 8 and verse number 39. Who's your father became a point of contention between the Pharisees and Jesus. Verse number 39, the Pharisees came upon him and they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus saith unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that have told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot understand or hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus made a distinction between Abraham the father of the faithful, and the father in which they were falling, which was not Abraham, but it was the father of lies. And so when I give God what is due to him, render unto God the things that are God's, it is an acknowledgement in my life that none of this, none of this, that car I'm driving, it's not mine, it comes from God. That home that I'm living in, it's not mine. It comes from God. These clothes that I'm wearing, they're not mine. They come from God. This family that I have that's a blessing to me, it's not mine. It comes from God. It's an acknowledgement. It's an understanding. It's a mentality. Everything comes from God. So I, I do that acknowledge that he's the creator I do that to connect to my heritage and I also do it to fulfill the covenant second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 11 for if that which is done away was glorious talking about the law now sometimes 
uh, in this particular passage of scripture, it says the law was glorious. Sometimes we talk about the law as being something we're glad we're not under. <laughs> I'm glad we're not doing that anymore. And so we view it as something that is a negative. But stop and think about it. You take uh, slaves from Egypt and you take them out from Egypt into a new land. They, they have no understanding mentality other than being enslaved. And now you're bringing them out of that slavery and you're bringing them into a promised land. There's got to be some kind of structure. There's got to be some kind of order. There's got to be some kind of religious opportunity and connection to this God that shows up in the voice of Moses when he comes. I'm coming to lead my people out. Well, who is this God? How do we interact with him? How do we relate to him? The law then became a gift to them because without of it, there would have been no order and chaos. So it fit its time. It was a gift to them. And this particular passage said that which was done away was glorious. And then he said much more, that which remaineth is glorious. Meaning that was glorious, but this is better. That was good, but this is better. That was good, but this is great. There's a fulfillment of the covenant that God has given. In every comparison of the law of Moses and the new covenant that came by Jesus Christ, the new covenant stands supreme. And the word that is always used, it is a better covenant. God has provided something better. Everything is better about the new covenant. You don't have to take the blood of bulls, goats, lambs, turtle doves, because there is one supreme sacrifice. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I didn't have to come bringing a lamb here tonight, a physical lamb, but I've got a Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Not with silver and gold by works or deeds that you have done, but with the precious blood of Christ, he has redeemed us. And so it's a better covenant. And so I'm, I'm doing a duty. If the law demanded tithes, then how much more should we, who are under the perfect law of liberty, give our tithes willingly? That's the difference. In the Old Testament, they followed a law, and, and, and there was a distance between God and the people. And God at one point said, I'm, I'm going to take the stony heart out of you, and I'm going to put a heart that can be moldable, a heart of flesh in you. That was all wrapped up in a new birth experience, that it would not be something that you would be caught as a rule or a law that was a schoolmaster but you would do it because you willingly understood and recognized the value of what his spirit meant in your life. And so it was something that would be willingly done. It would be the perfect law of liberty. And so this is why I give willingly. If the law is written in the fleshly tables of our hearts and we follow God's commands, not from outward rules, but because of our new nature, then how quickly and how easily we should give to God what is his because it belongs to him. Praise God. If all you're doing is something out of rules, 
and obligations, it's not going to resonate as much as doing it because this is who I want to be and this is what I am. Holiness and separation is not something that you follow just because pastor said this is something we do or don't do. It becomes because of what God has richly done. There's some things that I can't get to because of what he's done. I can't get to where you are because of what he's done. I can't do some of the things that are out there in the world because of what he's done. I, I can't cross over that. He's done great things in my life. Therefore, I want to be holy as he is holy. And so that means I'm going to discipline myself in some ways so as to give him glory. It's to fulfill a covenant. Some people say, well, we don't pay tithes because tithing was under the law. But if that was a sufficient reason for not paying tithes, we could mistreat our parents for the loss that honor thy father and thy mother. In actuality, we honor our father and mother, and we give what we do because of the principles that the law is written in my heart. And I'm doing it willingly and liberally because the Spirit motivates me to do what God said is His. Praise God. There is a, there's a connection between what you give and the blessings of God. There is a blessing and there is thanksgiving. This week is a week of thanksgiving. Anybody thankful here tonight about all the things that God has provided and given to you? Praise God. We're going to take some time this week and spend some time around a table and think about the things that we should be thankful for. Sunday morning talked about Hannah. She got so focused on the things that troubled her that she didn't see the value of everything else around her. And Thanksgiving should be an opportunity to put the stop button on all the little things and look around and see the greater things and say, God, I want to thank you for those things. Even if they're small and insignificant, sometimes I can go right on by those. But I want to take a moment of reflection and say, God, I thank you. I thank you for the ability to lay my head on a pillow at night and have some peace. That is something that not everybody has. I thank you that I'm waking up in the morning without guilt and condemnation of what happened last night. But I'm coming to you in the morning saying, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I know where I was. I was in my right mind. And now I'm going to do a work for the Lord. Love is one of the strongest motivations in the world. Have you ever seen a bumper sticker that says, if you love Jesus, honk your horn? Anyone can honk his horn. <laughs> There's not an associated sacrifice in honking your horn. Now, if you've been overseas at all, you know, in America, every time I go overseas, it seems like everybody's on their horn. And if you were to do the same thing in the United States, there'd be a road rage over there it's a form of communication honk honk I'm coming by you honk watch out we're close beep beep there's always in the Philippines it's associated with looking honking and nodding honk honk that means do you hear me do you see me I'm coming around and so it's fascinating because traffic there is unbelievable they don't follow the structure of lanes it's just like everybody kind of just goes wherever they want to go, and they've got this, this ability 
this, this behavior through the horn that tells, it's like a foreign language, okay, and tells people what's happening and where I am and what I'm doing and what I'm fixing to do. And if you come back to the States and you start doing that, they're going to run you off the road. Brother Terry used to say, man, I'm doing better this week because they're giving me four fingers this week than they gave me last week. This is the state of people on the road today. The horn is supposed to be there to communicate, you know, I'm, I'm driving, we're, we're, but, but anymore, you touch the horn, you, you're going to get a fist, somebody pulling over, trying to run you off the road. Now, what, what, where was I? Someone should print a sticker that says, if you love Jesus, pay your tithes. Why? Anybody can honk the horn, but paying your tithes requires something. Not just the honking of the horn, but it requires something. There's, there's a commitment there. And so there's an action associated with it. One of the greatest illustrations of this is found in the story of David, 2 Samuel chapter 24. David, after he gets the land settled, he numbers the people. Joab comes to him and tells him, and this is where we see where David is wrong. Joab tries to caution him, and, and he says to him something to the effect of, David, don't do this. Don't do this. Because it doesn't matter when has God ever been interested in numbers? Because in the scripture, God's not interested in numbers. God can take a few and do something great with it. He doesn't need a bunch of numbers to do something. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be in the midst of them. And so he takes small and insignificant things. Gideon, you got 32,000. I want you to take them down to the brook. He pairs them down to 300. How in the world are we going to effectively be able to challenge the Midianites who are as grasshoppers? But God's never been interested in numbers. It's not about numbers. It's about the power of who God is and the ability of a few people to say, we're going to trust in the Lord to this, even though this looks like tragedy. God knows how to work it out. And so, and so he does. And so David's problem here was ego. Nudge your neighbor because some of you are falling asleep and say ego. And also say, you need to stop getting up so early in the morning. It's bad for your health. Ego. His problem was ego. His problem was ego. He, he wanted to number the people because he wanted to know. How, and Joab said, don't, don't do this. This is, not a, this is not a good thing. But he's David's the king. So he goes ahead and he, he takes a census. And when it's all said and done, his conscience smites him. And he real, it starts bothering him. And he realizes he has sinned. And so um, he feels that. And the next day... Gad, the prophet, shows up on his doorstep. When you do wrong, God's going to show up on your conscience. And he's going to come knocking. And Gad shows up, and 
and says, David, you've sinned, and said, you've got three options. And he puts David in a predicament. Number one, you can have three years of famine, or number two, you can flee from your foes three months while they pursue you, or number three, you're going to have a plague in your land for three days. Which is it that you want? You let me know, and I'll take this back to the one who sent me. David finds himself in a, in a real predicament. This is one of his most famous statements because David said, I have great anxiety. Please let us fall into the Lord's hands because his mercies are great, but don't let me fall into human hands. David doesn't, he doesn't give, he doesn't take one of the options. He just says, I'm going to fall in the hands of God. And, and so what happens is there is a plague on the land that 70,000 people die because of David's ego. The conclusion of that in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 24, when David says, Lord, these people, I'm the one that is at fault here. They're the innocent ones. He's directed to go and build an altar, and so he goes to Arana. And in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, listen to what he says to Arana. He comes to Arana, and he says, I need your, your field to build an altar. And Arana says, you can have the field. I mean, this is the king. You can have the field. I've got the animals. You can have everything. David said, nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen, the 50 shekels of silver. Praise God. For somebody that genuinely loves God, your tithe is only the beginning of your giving. David said, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to do something that costs me nothing. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. That's a mentality. Many times when people start talking about money, all the air goes out of the room. And all of a sudden, well, I was happy until I walked in. We started talking about finances, and, and now I feel like I've been sucking on a persimmon. <laughs> okay. Scripture said God loves a cheerful, cheerful giver. Note the attitude that is associated with the giving. I'm not doing this. Be, God's not going to. God is not. You could tithe 50% of your income, and if you do it grudgingly, you're not going to get a blessing because God sees and understands the condition of the heart. But if you are cheerful in the fact that you understand everything comes from God and this is for God's glory and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, there is a blessing that is associated with that. I do it to fulfill an obligation. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23 to the Pharisees, you pay tithes. These ought you have done and not to leave the other undone. He didn't criticize the Pharisees for paying tithes. He commended them, but he said it was something they ought to have done, but they had left some other things out. In other words, he was expressing, you've done the obligation or the duty, but you've left other things out of your duty. 
sense of well-being is connected with completing something you have acknowledged you are going to do. And it is an es escape from the negative cognition side effects of not coming through on your stated goals and obligations, namely an adverse sentence or verdict, which means condemnation. Now that sounded really good today while I was writing it, but that sounds pretty wordy there. What I mean by that is when we do things that we are obligated to do and we accomplish them and we complete them, we feel good about that. We don't feel good about going through a day and, and, and expecting to do some things and not getting anything done. Anybody ever had one of those days? For some reason, the wheels fall off the day and now the cognition that I've got is not good. It's negative. And I should have done that, and I didn't do. And so what sets in is condemnation because I haven't fulfilled the obligation. And so to escape that and avoid a curse and receive a blessing, I'm going to fulfill what is my obligation to God. I'm going to render to God what is God's. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 8 puts it pretty plain when the prophet said, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. He couples tithes and offerings. Some people have asked, what does that mean? Well, you can give whatever offering you want to give. And many of you do that, whether it's missions. Um, some of you put within your own discipline. I personally put within my own discipline. I was always taught from an early age that 10 was God and 5% was offering. And so I coupled that together. It's just been something that I've always done. This couples together tithes and offerings. The tithe is an obligation. It's a duty. It's God's. The offering comes from whatever you want to purpose. Dave Ramsey's really, really good about talking about saving some, spending some, and giving some. And he says, if you don't ever get to the giving part, your life is not going to be fruitful and productive because you're going to save and spend, but it's only going to be saving and spending on yourself. And it's not going to be doing a calling and a duty to others, which can come with giving. And so giving is what you purpose in your own mind and heart. And so in Malachi, the two are connected. And then he goes on to say, you are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me, everyone say prove me. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the window of heaven, the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. How sad is it that people who are honest, in business and who pay their debts to the bank, to the store, to the government, will not pay God what belongs to him. Sometimes people quibble about whether they are paying or giving, but both terms are appropriate. The tithe is the Lord's and he expects us to pay it to him. And at the same time, he does not receive it until we give it to him. Someone said, well, you can't outgive God and you can't out-squeeze him either. Some do not give God the tithe, but eventually they spend their money on 
automobile repairs and medical bills and a thousand other things that they might have avoided if they'd been faithful to God in their giving. And this principle is found in the prophet Haggai when he said in chapter 1 and verse number 6, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat but have not enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you but there is none warm. And he that earneth the wages earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Money's coming in, it's going right out. It may be connected to the way that you think about your giving. The reverse of a bag with holes is good measure. Good measure. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that you meet with all it shall be measured to you again you want to squeeze God you'll get what you're squeezing God you want to give to God you'll get back what you give to God pressed down good measure shaken together running over God said prove me prove me wherewith God blesses the people who pay tithes. They do not always have the most money or the best clothes, but they are blessed. This is what matters. Don't ever pay your tithes thinking, I'm giving this to God, and now he's going to return fourfold. That's not scripture. I'm going to give God what's God, and he's going to bless me. It may not be money, but he's going to bless me in a lot of other ways. A lot of other ways. Money is not everything. If that were the case, people were that the most rich would be the happiest people in the world. And it's known that the people with the most money are the people who are not happy. Many of them are committing suicide, drowning themselves. And Be wary of those who promise if you give God a dollar, he'll give you back four. Just do your duty and your obligation and watch God prove himself. The expectation of a return should not be our motivation for giving. And his richest blessings are not necessarily monetary. I'll tell you something. Some of the blessings of God, you, you could not put a value on. You can't put a value on the anointing of God that comes and moves in this place. You can't put a monetary figure on that. Simon said, I'd like to buy the Holy Ghost. And Peter said, he rebuked him. Uh, you, you can't buy what God blesses and gives. If you've got the Holy Ghost in your life, you got a blessing that is a great blessing that no amount of money could ever buy it. And it comes from God. It's the blessing of God. The Spirit of God in us is a blessing. But having said that, I do want God to notice me and remember me. He noticed that the widow put money in the treasury at the temple. He noticed that she put in what she put in was of her substance. And what others put in, they just put in and wanted to be seen of men. She put in very little, but he noticed, he noticed. He noticed what Cornelius was giving. Cornelius wasn't even saved, but 
yet he was a man that gave much alms. God noticed that. He noticed what Israel was not giving, and he knows what we give, and he notices when we give. And so God has said in this passage of Scripture, prove me and see if I will not give you blessings. Praise God. And I have, so I have trusted him, I have tested him, I have tried him, and I have concluded that it is better to give God what belongs to him rather than withholding it from him. Praise God. Praise God. This good stuff here tonight, man, this is powerful. This is shouting, jumping up and down. My last point tonight is I give tithes personally to be consistent. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be an example of the believers in word and conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be thou an example of the believers. And so in ministry, just because you're involved in ministry, there's an obligation, there is a duty to recognize that everything that I have is comes from God. And so preachers who receive tithes should be the most faithful to pay tithes. you're in ministry in this church, then you should be a tithe payer. Say, who are you talking about? I don't know. I don't sit down and go through all of that every single week. At the end of the year, we, we, we write out a report, sign it, and then it's, it's usually at those moments that we can see what people are giving. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing and fascinating to see the discipline that is, that is anchored in generations see that report, you see a grandfather, you see a son, you see a grandson. Because somebody's recognized the value of that. Something you got to teach. When your kids start getting to the point and they're getting increases, you need to teach them on that. Whatever comes in, you mowed the yard, gave 20 bucks, there's a tithe you need to pay. Why? Because everything you got's from God. It starts there. It starts there. It's something that is taught. That's why I'm spending some time here tonight teaching it. We wouldn't have, I'm going to explain it here in a minute. We wouldn't have any of what's here if it were not for people that understood this principle of tithing. Offerings don't pay, offerings, honey, don't pay the bills. It's people that tithe, it's people that give. Paying tithes will not save a person. Everyone must be born again to be saved. But paying tithes sets a commitment to God. And I guarantee you, you set a commitment to God, God's going to bless you if you set a commitment to God. What did it say? Show me the tribute money, says Jesus. You're committed to something that you put into action. This is what propels the gospel locally and globally. Offerings don't pay the bills. And in case you think I sit on all the ties, you'd be sorely mistaken. Because built into the contractual obligations of the pastor, GBFPC is that the pastor cannot take more than 25% of all the ties. And I take 15% less of that. And I am perfectly happy. God's been good to me. We have what we need. I don't begrudge that at all, at all. So, so what happens what happens then with the other 15% and the other 
it goes right back into the church. All the ministries of the church, everything that we do, everything, all the tithes come in the storehouse and it goes out. I'm telling you, it goes out. This is why we need to be good stewards. Turn the lights out. Turn the air conditioner off. Where's Brother Smith? He used to come and calculate how much energy each one of these lights generated. And when somebody left the lights on, he figured it down to, if you leave it on this long, this is how much it's costing. Maybe money doesn't mean anything to you, but, okay, well, yeah, it does. Turn the lights off. So all the tithes come in and all the tithes go out. Tithing is a duty. It's an obligation. It's a commitment. You should tithe. You should teach your children to tithe. You want to be blessed of God? Be a person that understands I'm going to render to God what is God's. And if I haven't, God forgive me. Let me get back on track. Let me get things right. Maybe, maybe what I'm going through is because I've got a bag full of holes. And I need to correct that. I need to understand and recognize that everything comes from you. And if I do that, I'll be blessed. Not just financially, but blessed in every other area of my life. Praise God. Praise God. We spent $869,000 on the Libby Center. That's how much it cost. This building here cost, what, $1.3? 1.4. Libby Center, 20 years later, cost approximately $869,000. Where'd that come from? Came from people who paid their tithes. We have spent thus far, and we're almost finished, 250000 on the kitchen remodel. We had to tear the kitchen completely up, put a new freezer, refrigerator, put flooring in, tile, electrical, air conditioning, all of that takes a lot of money, $250,000. So in the last year, a year and a half, we've spent $1,119,000 on improvements to this piece of property. Where'd that come from? That came from people who were committed to paying their tithes and obligated to doing that and offerings. Praise God. That's a lot of money. $1.1 million. So when we started all these projects in 2017, we had $600,000 that was in a building fund. Thank God for wise leadership that put some in the storehouse for a project like that. We need to give great, great appreciation to leadership like Bishop that understood and recognized this doesn't stop here. There's things that we're going to need to do down the road. And so if you take $1,119,000 minus $600,000, $519,000 is the remaining amount that it's going to cost to do that. We owe on all of that. $182,000. As of right now, we owe $182,000 on all those projects that we're doing and that we're trying to finish. So what that means is in the last year and a half, somehow, somehow, and I don't even know. I, I, to be honest with you, I don't even know. You know what I pray? God, 
God bless our faithfulness to you. Bless this piece of property. Let stuff come from quarters that we don't even don't even know or don't e we're not even aware of. So when you when you figure all of that out with what we owe, that means in the last year and a half, somehow, somehow, we have paid week to week, month to month, based on what people have given, three hundred and thirty-seven thousand dollars. That's incredible. And while we're doing all of that, we've given over $100,000 to missions. We haven't stopped any of what we're doing. How does that even happen? That's unbelievable. How that happens is because people recognize and understand, I'm committed to this. This is my church. And so, therefore, I'm going to commit to my church, and I'm going to commit to my God. And God's going to bless me in a lot of ways that I don't even see. Amen. And he has blessed us richly. And so we're still doing work here. We talked about maybe selling this piece of property, which would have been a huge endeavor trying to find a buyer. Buying a piece of property somewhere else, we'd have to sell here, go there, $2.5 million to get there, $2.5 million to get the land, try to sell the building, then get the building sold before we even did anything. We'd have $500,000 more for, for curb and gutter improvements before we even started building any buildings. And so then that would have been, what, another $2 million? Then we'd been at $5 million. So we said, you know what, that's, 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 that's way out there. Why don't we stay right where we are and use what we've got and trust God and anchor this, the, here in this city. And so that's what we've done. We spent $14,000, $15,000 on a chain link fence over here. That's a lot of money because people kept cutting through the fence, walking down the canal, cutting through the fence, walking through the property. It's not safe. Our kids could walk out of the park, fall into a canal. There's great, great liability there. So we went to the city. I'm talking about the blessings of God. Brother Jeremy and some others contacted city people. He contacted the Water Resource Board. They said, well, we only get a certain amount of allocation allocation a year for fencing, they almost gave us the entire allocation for an entire year of fencing, and so we gave 14000 they gave 14000 and we've got new fencing all the way down the canal that is steel fencing that you can't cut through. How does that happen? Well, God blesses. That's what he does. He blesses. How in the world did you pay 337000 in a year and a half? I don't even know. I don't know. There's a bill. Pay it. Let's trust God it's going to happen. You know how that happens? It happens because there are people that recognize God's, and then people get better jobs. God elevates them. Things start working and happening in their life, and it produces a blessing. And so we're going to continue to work on this piece of property. We're trying to wrap some stuff up. We're putting gate in. We're putting the cafe over here. We're putting an infant care room over here. We got to get that finished. We got to get the young people up in a, in a youth center. We got to build an educational wing. We got to tear down that trailer out there. We got to park, make that a parking And then at some point when that's all said and done, this sanctuary needs to be renovated. Can you believe that, that this carpet has been in here for 20 years? It still looks pretty good. Those pews you're sitting on, all that fabric and everything, 20 years. You know how that happens? That happens because people are good stewards of what God has given them. And there's something to be said about that. God has blessed us richly, richly, because people not only pay their tithes, but there's people that give great, great offerings because... They've purposed in their heart that's what they want to do.
And so God has helped us, not only locally, but he's helped us globally. And when that happens, there is a blessing that comes in so many, many ways. Why are we doing all of that? Because we ultimately want the ministry of God to go forward. Every area of the church, whether it's children, whether it's young people, whether it's young marrieds, whether it's adults, whether it's our elders, we want the Holy Ghost to continue to work. We want to reach out into this community and not only this community, we want to reach the world. How do you reach the world? Cost money. How do you get money? Well, you can ask for money, you can beg for money, you can do all that, but you know what happens when people get an understanding and a vision of an obligation and they pay and they give? God does miraculous things, and he's done miraculous things. You need to be thankful. You've done it. You've done it. I haven't done it. I've tried to control and direct it, but you've done it. And so everything that we have done, the gym, the Libby Center, we're wrapping up a lot of that stuff. It's so very, very nice. And in the midst of all of that, it's not something that I do or it's not something that you do or it's not something that we do. It's something that God has done. God's done. God's done. Let's stand together in the house of God tonight. Amen. If you're paying your tithes, keep paying your tithes. If you're not paying your tithes, you need to get on track. Get on track and watch God. Prove God. Watch God do, do great, great things. Amen. We need to pray for individuals tonight. We need to pray for Sister Helen. She's not doing well. I think she had a fall. and um, It's good to see my mother here. She had a fall. And Sister Evie had a fall. Praise report with Sister Evie. She's not going to have to have surgery, uh, which was a big deal. So they're just going to work with that fracture without having to do surgery. So we're thankful for that. There's some people sick. Brother Russ Johnson is in the hospital with a blood clot in his lung. We'll pray.